What's up, everybody? Hello. Wow, good to see you all. Such a cool experience having a nice full room again, you know, together. Good to be back here in the arts building. And so uh, I'm just going to just get it rolling. Is that cool? <clears throat> so there was a show, a television show, in like for three decades toward the end of the 20th century that you may know about. And uh, it was called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Who's heard of this show? Have you heard of that? Okay, wow. So now that's pretty impressive. And so it was hosted by a guy named Fred Rogers, also known as Mr. Rogers. He was the host for like the entire runtime of that show for like I said, like 30 plus years. And during the show, he would interact with these different members of his fictional neighborhood in the show. And sometimes it was like real people and sometimes it was little puppets, you know? And it was kind of silly, it's a kid's show, you know? And so, and an important interaction, not only did he have with these neighbors in the show, but he would interact like with the audience. He'd interact by like looking in the camera and asking questions and like making statements. And an important part of that interaction was this song he would sing I think every episode, I don't really know, I haven't watched every episode of Mr. Rogers, uh, but he would sing this song about uh, being a neighbor, and he says, won't you be my neighbor? Invites the audience, us, as the viewer, won't you be my neighbor in this show? Now, that show went off the air before most of you, if not almost all of you were born. Uh, 2001, that's when it was <laughs> went off the air. And so the fact that you all even knew about it was uh, incredible. Uh, it, it speaks to the profound influence, right, and the profound effect that this show had on like generations of children, of people who grew up and wanted to adopt the values of uh, this person, uh, Fred Rogers. And so now as we pick up where we left off last week talking about uh, the great commandment that Jesus made in Matthew 22, we'll see through this time together that we're called to broaden the scope of our neighborhood and to love our neighbors in a powerful way. We're called by the text in a way to ask with Mr. Rogers, won't you be my neighbor? In beckoning people to be our neighbor and for us to love them in a way that uh, Jesus calls us to. So that's what he has for us. And so let me pull up Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. You have it in your notes. And we read it last week, but I just want to go through this passage again so that we can kind of be on the same page and, and drink in God's word together. So hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, in my study Bible at home, uh, it says, has this little blurb next to this passage. It says this, the kingdom life that Jesus initiated, like through his ministry on earth, the kingdom life that Jesus initiated, summarized in these two commandments, fulfills the deepest longings 
of human beings created in the image of God to display his glory. I think that's so cool. This, <laughs> what I've just shared with you, what just read off the pages of the Bible, in some way it fulfills our longings and our needs as people. How is this possible? Well, we'll get into some of that. But these two parts, it's interesting. The person asks, what's the greatest commandment? And that's singular, right? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, these are the greatest commandment (laughs) together. It's two commandments that he's just stitched together. And what Jesus is trying to tell us is that these two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, are inseparable. They're inseparable. You cannot do one without the other. You cannot succeed at loving God if you fail to love your neighbor. And in fact... This may sound crazy, but you actually can't succeed at loving your neighbor in the way that God designed if you fail to love God. And so that's, that kind of brings me to this first part that I want to cover, and in some way this references back to last week. And that is that we need to love your neighbor supernaturally. You have a handout with some blanks. If you'd like to fill that in, I, I welcome you to do that. But we are to love your neighbor, love our neighbors supernaturally. And as I described last week, we are to respond to and be obedient to God. We are to respond to his love. And that's how we just experience God ultimately. And that's how we can find part of this fulfillment. It's just to experience and know and receive and respond to his love. But we need to love, we need to love our neighbor in his power. We need to love our neighbor supernaturally. One, another passage that was from last week that I want to share with you again because it's relevant to us tonight is found in 1 John chapter 4. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so there's a few key statements, there's a few key aspects of that passage that we see. We see that love is from God. That's what it says. Love is from God. The the truest, the purest form of love that we can express in this life is from God only. It's from God alone. Love is from God. We, We experience that vertically as we respond to, as we receive the, the, the joy and the love that he pours into us. Love, love is from God, and so whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's what First John 4 tells us. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That means that you've committed your life to him. That means that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. That's what first just enables you to even offer love to other people in a way that God's designed us to do, for us to, to show to people. And then in the la- another element of this passage says, we ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. We have a responsibility. If you are one of God's people, we ought to love one another. 
This is something he's called us to, and this is something he's commanded us to. In his word, where he says that we are to love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? John Piper wrote, I read this this week, and I thought it was cool, and I should mention it, is he wrote that love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. Love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. As we experience and as we soak up the love that God has lavished upon us, as his word says, then if if we're truly experiencing that and responding to it, then it's going to overflow into the lives of the people around us. We're to love God so much that his love naturally flows out of us into the lives of other people. And so by loving, knowing, and being born of God, we are then enabled to love people the way that God intended. So if you love and believe in God, there's a few things that we can experience, that we can know. That means that we're going to view people as fellow bearers of the image of God and to see them as such. Did you know that you and every other person in this room and every other person on earth, we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God, meaning that God takes it seriously when we mistreat or harm or do any kind of injustice to another, a fellow image bearer of his. He takes it seriously. And so if we would have the perspective, if we, if we believe God, if we love him, then, then we adopt a perspective that says that every single person around me is in, is in just as much need of his love and is just as worthy of his love as I am. So I need to respect them as such. I need to esteem you as such. And if you love and believe in God, another element of this is that you sacrificially lay yourself down as the servant of all, as the servant of other people. That's, that's following Jesus' example. Jesus showed us the path of what it means to follow him, what it means to be a disciple, and that is to lay your life down and to sacrifice yourself for the needs of other people and to serve them. And then, finally, if you love and believe in God, then you're going to go above and beyond to love other people. Beyond what's expected, beyond the norm, beyond what's uh, even considered strange. It just might be kind of crazy. But you're going to go be out, above and beyond in love out of the energy and the power that the Holy Spirit provides. The, the Spirit of God empowers us to go into the world and, and let God's love flow through us, overflow into the lives of other people. And so God, Jesus gives us some practical direction, actually, for how we are to love our neighbor. And so one, another passage that I want to look at here, now that we've set a foundation, I want to set a foundation that we love our neighbor supernaturally, okay? We're not trying to do these different things that I'm about to explain uh, in our own willpower, right? We need to be grounded and, and set a foundation in, I need God's help to do this. It's, this is only coming from a supernatural place. If I'm going to do what Jesus is asking me to do, to love my neighbor as myself, I need his help. And I need, we need his spirit, we need his power to, to help us with this, right? And so we need God's supply, we need God's help and his, his love. And so with the rest of our time, I want to just highlight three dimensions of loving our neighbor according to a parable that Jesus told in Luke 10. 
Luke chapter 10. So that's also on your handout, and I want to read that as well. So in a very similar spot, actually, a very similar or situation that Jesus finds himself in is, is found in Luke 10, very similar to Matthew 22, where it's kind of revealed this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, as being an important and intrinsic part of what it means to be part of God's family. And so in response to that idea, somebody asked Jesus a question. So I'm just going to read through the rest of this. It says, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's the question that he wanted to ask Jesus. So what does Jesus say? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he took the man on his own donkey, put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, there's some cultural context to this, right? There are three types of people that pass or are part of this story. And the first of these is a priest. We can kind of picture what a priest would be like, right? We still kind of have those around. <laughs> and so a priest is like a spiritual leader at that time. And you'd expect when you hear a story about a priest that he's going to, that he might do the right thing, right? And so it's surprising to us and to the original hearers of this message. Oh, like he just passed by. He just kind of avoided this situation with this person who needed his help. And then another, another kind of person here is a Levite. That's the second person who passes by. That's, that was kind of an assistant to a priest at that time. And so that was, that was a Levite. And once again, you kind of expect, oh, this guy's going to do what, what God wants him to do. But he doesn't do that. He passes by the other side. Now, a Samaritan, a Samaritan in the cultural context, these types of people were considered ethnically impure by Jesus's Jewish audience. They were very strict about various things, but including even who you were supposed to marry and intermarry with and do community with and relate to even. And these types of Jews had actually gone off and started intermarrying with other nations in many, many years previous. And at this point in the story, in this point in history, the Jews just did not even associate with these people called Samaritans, and they considered them impure, culturally, ethnically impure. So anyway, all this to say, this parable highlights the importance of stepping beyond cultural 
and relational barriers out of love. Okay, that's one element of this. But it also gives us a picture of how to love. It goes into detail about how the Samaritan cared for this person that he found on the road, right? And so I want to very briefly just sort of go through some different elements of that story of how, how can we express that kind of love? How can we do that? How can we love our neighbor as ourself? And so the first of these is for us to love your neighbor compassionately. Love your neighbor compassionately. And once again, we start. We need to love your neighbor supernaturally in the power of God, right? We start there. But then as we move into the practical, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we live that out before people? You need to love your neighbor compassionately. You see, real love that comes from God is not just obligatory. It's not something that you just kind of do out of a sense of duty. But rather, it is compulsory. It comes from within where you, you feel something and you are compelled to act on their behalf. You see, all three of the men in that parable that we just read, they all saw the man who was beaten. Every time, it says the priest, he saw them, the person, and he passed by. The Levite saw him, and he passed by. And, and what did the, the, the Samaritan do? He saw him, and then it says he took pity on him. He took pity on him. Something in that Samaritan's heart, something in that Samaritan's heart was moved to action. And so when we think of love and the way that we experience it, um, there's a way for us to kind of think about it too much in the extreme of an emotion, right? Where, oh, I love this person, and it might not actually manifest in like actions, but rather we just kind of feel like, we, we just, love is something you feel, right? Um, and on the other hand, there's another extreme where we can be so trying not to do that that we actually think, oh, love is just an action. Love is an action and nothing more. It's not something you feel, it's something you do. Um, both of these have their place. And in fact, love can be both. Love is something that we can feel, that we can experience internally that compels us toward a person in order to love them with action. Love can come from a place in our feelings, in our heart, in our emotions. And then if it's real love, it's actually going to result in action for that person though. And in Colossians 3, this is talking to, to, it says, as God's chosen ones, this is God's people, this is the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, this applies to you. As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those, those things that he just listed there, these are all internal aspects of our heart. These are attitudes that we have toward other people. These aren't things that you, you necessarily are acting upon right now. But these are things that we, we feel. We, we have compassion. I'm, I'm kind toward you. I, I want to have a humble spirit toward you and be gentle and patient. And then as we, as we keep looking, it says, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another. We, we let our, our emotions and the way that God uses them and designs them to compel us. We allow them to compel us toward action. And that doesn't excuse us from doing the right things that we ought to do in our willpower when the time comes, but ultimately it, we should operate in some kind of capacity to where we are feeling, we are expressing some kind of love from within. And so, and like I said earlier, all people are made in the image of God. 
All people are made in the image of God. And so if we love God, right, it is right for us to compassionately respond to the physical and spiritual and emotional needs of others. If we love God, it is right for us to compassionately respond to the physical and spiritual and emotional needs of others. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, another story with him, where he sees a crowd of people. This is in verses 36 through 38. And he sees the crowd. And it says in the text, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's what it tells us. And in this moment, we see something happen within Jesus where his heart is moved deeply in in order to respond. And his whole ministry was in response, in action to the people that needed his help, that needed his love, that needed salvation. And so he responded in that way, but it did come from somewhere within. He responded with compassion and he was cut to the heart by that because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. As we see emotional needs around us, as we see spiritual needs around us, as we see physical needs around us, it's okay. It is right for us to respond with love in an emotional sense, in a sense that is not callous toward these needs around us. So we're to love our neighbor compassionately. Now, next we need to love your neighbor sacrificially. Love your neighbor sacrificially. In the text that I just read, it says that when he was taking care, when the Samaritan was taking care of this man, it says he put the man on his own donkey. Now, if you put a person on your own donkey, that means you don't get to ride on the donkey, all right? <laughs> and so he, he was giving up, he was sacrificing this element of transportation in order to enable this guy to get to an inn, to get some rest so that he could recover from his injuries. Truly loving people comes at a cost. Truly loving people comes at a cost, right? We need to be prepared to sacrifice our convenience. We need to be prepared to sacrifice our time and our energy to sacrifice our resources and, yes, our donkey, if need be, for the needs of others, for what's around us. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. When we love people the way we ought to, we need to understand, we need to have a humble heart, a spirit that upholds them in high esteem, that looks not only to your own interests, but also to their interests, and even is willing to sacrifice for them and serve them. In Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. And he came to serve, right? Even though he was, he was, he's the Lord of all. He is God incarnate. But he came not to be served, not as, as a Lord in that sense, but in order to serve the people around him. So we need to adopt a humble status, a humble position, a humble mindset like Jesus, not only as we serve like him, but it says that he says that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we need to be willing to lay our lives down for other people. 
Not in the sense of having to like jump in front of a bus necessarily, but being willing to put others' needs before our own. We lay ourselves down in love, trusting that our Heavenly Father will provide for us and meet our own needs. And so once we've done these different things, or as we do these different things, these are all conjunctions, these are different dimensions of loving your neighbor. And so the last of these that I want to touch on is to love your neighbor abundantly. Love your neighbor abundantly. We see the Samaritan go way out of his way, go way above and beyond in this story in order to help this person who was a stranger. He didn't know him, didn't have any connection with him. In fact, they had the opposite of a connection. They were kind of enemies in the sense of their social status, their social ways, their cultural ways. But it says, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Like he's going way beyond what's expected. He's going way beyond uh, the bare minimum in order to care for this guy. In Romans 12, verse 10, it says, to love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. So we're to outdo one another. We're to love each other to such an extent that it seems crazy that it seems over the top. And that's the way that God calls us to love. And we are not, once again, we are not expected to produce this kind of love on our own. We're doing this according to God's power. We're doing this according to God's spirit that he plants, that he puts inside of every believer. And so in 2 Timothy, it talks about this. It says that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And so if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, that's the spirit that he has given you. And I've, I've played around with just giving into the spirit of fear, the spirit of timidity, the spirit of just trying to be uh, as polite as I need to be <laughs> in order for nobody to get mad at me. And that's not the objective in love, in loving your neighbor as yourself. The objective is to go above and beyond what's expected and what's necessary in order to show the, and demonstrate the kind of love that God wants us to. And so why are we to live in this way, though? Why are, why are we doing this? Okay, first, you know, we're trying to obey Jesus, right? He said, love your neighbor. I guess I, I, I'm going to do that. It's a command he gives. But, but there's, there's perhaps a more important, I'm not going to get into that, but there's, a, there's an important reason why we do these things, okay? And that's in order to put God on display for the people around us. We want to put God on display for the people around us. 1 John 4, 12 says, No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So if you and I can adopt God's ways of loving each other, then we can give people a glimpse of God. We can, in some small way, make the unseen God seen. We can expose people who are in desperate need of him to his goodness. And so, I want you to consider tonight, how do you need to embrace God's love for the first time tonight? Do you need to walk 
in the supernatural power that he has available for us, the supernatural way of living in order to experience and embrace his love so that it can shoot out from us into every corner of the earth, into every corner of our campus, so that people can experience the love of God this semester. What characteristic of love can you focus on as you seek to love the people that God's put in your life? There's people that God's put in your life that I will never talk to, and I will never get to know, because he's given all of us these different spheres of influence and spaces that we live and pockets of people that we, that we participate with in life. And so how can you be an influence in that area? What characteristic of love can you focus on as you seek to love the people that God's put in your life? Do you need to be more compassionate? Do you need to be more sacrificial? Do you need to be more, do you need to experience or express the abundance to go above and beyond what, what, what's been even asked of us? But I want to encourage us to invite every person that you meet into the experience of being your neighbor giving them a taste of God's love, giving them a glimpse of God. Let me pray for us right now. Father, thank you for your love, which is at the genesis of all of this. Thank you for your love, which is why we're here. It's why we're here in this room. It's why we're here in in on earth and breathing and alive. God, you've given us life and breath and everything. And so we worship you for that. We magnify you for that. And so I ask, as we just get a taste of that love, as we embrace you tonight, I pray that every heart here would be turned toward you to to seek you, to pursue you, to get to know really who you are and to make you the Lord of their life, God. I pray that you would you would put it on every heart to know you, God, so that we can reflect your love to the people around us, so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves and change our campus, so that we can change our world, so that we can live a life that is glorifying to you, so that other people can get a glimpse of you in this life. In Jesus' name, amen.